0: Okay, so we took a skate break, and now we're back in Wink's backyard on his patio. The jungle, yeah, beautiful night. Um, so, for this next part, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, like your you're dealing with like modern snowboarding, and because to me you've been, I mean, you're kind of the guy that you like live winter stick. Yeah, and, and it's pretty, it's pretty rad. I think that um, as a brand, like they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't be on my radar if it wasn't for your enthusiasm for them. Oh so, man. So That's, how did you kind of get hooked up with, with winter stick kind of in this, this modern time?
1: Well, imagine a kid who grows up on the little Burton snowboard and misses the whole early days of winter sticking, but witnessed it. And knew all the cats, and then all of a sudden we could get on the lifts. Holy fuck, we could ride the lifts. Yeah. And I could ride a winter stick on the lift. I mean, I had that little shit Burton, a little Burton back hill, which was rad for the first days, right? <laughs> Sorry, dog. <laughs> has to move. You're going to yip, but you're not going to bug the interviewer. Harley, get. Anyway, I mean, the little Woody with you know, like, I don't know, it It was like a ski strap holding your front foot into a water ski binding. Yeah. And you'd ride that in wet snow or, you know, at Mueller Park Junior High and build a little jump and go 40 feet. I mean, that's how that board worked. But And it's not like we didn't go hike Flagstaff, too, right? So that was pretty sick, the big gullies across the street from Alta. If you can't ride Alta... What are you going to do? Well, you're going to ride across the street. So we did that. But also lived in Bountiful, Utah. For its elevation, that town gets more snow than any place other than maybe Buffalo, New York. It's right <laughs> off the arm of the Great Salt Lake that yeah. gets pounded. If yeah. it doesn't all go up, little Cottonwood and big Cottonwood Canyon is going up in that valley. And you can ride in town. The whole town is like an asphalt ski resort. It's perfect asphalt to skateboard on. So we skated it all summer from when I was 10 years old and then we had drive runs down the fire breaks and everything. And so, you know, I mean, we rode those, that, that board and everybody else was, there were a bunch of my friends weren't even on the radar with winter stick at all. Like they didn't know about winter sticks. There was two guys in my high school that rode winter sticks, right? Ned Worthington and Rick trainer and maybe a few other guys, but Rick trainer had this really rad board he was the school photographer, cool guy, party guy. I mean, they get high up in Mueller Park and, you know, during lunch or whatever. And they were always the guys drinking beers and they were the cool guys in Bountiful High. They were the winter stickers, you know. That's my touch with winter sticker outside of the skate park. And it became an obsession, you know. I couldn't get one, right, as a kid. I wasn't allowed. My dad took me to the the... Forest service ranger and he said this kid wants a winter stick i was maybe 12 after this is after talking to you know all the pioneers at nordic valley and took me in and this guy is he's the fucking snow ranger in charge of all the avalanches in charge of snow ops for the canyon and he's tuning skis and he looks right at me and he's like my dad said this kid wants a winter stick and that guy rolled over and looked at me as he's tuning his edge and he says winter sticks cause avalanches and I didn't know what the (laughs) hell was going on I wanted a board for Christmas I wanted to do that like I'm a skier and I'm a skateboarder that seems like the perfect thing combine those two we can ride snow sideways on a surfboard for the snow and my dad just drove me down the Canyon and I wasn't getting a winter stick for Christmas because <laughs> you couldn't ride them in the resort. Right. I was little. And about that time, just before that, you know, I'd, I'd ridden a, a winter stick. A guy had one in his back of his car and he was putting it in his bag. And I said, is that a winter stick? And he goes, yeah. And I go, can I see it? And he unzipped this Cordura bag in the shape of a swallowtail and it's a Wave Products cool board bag for a snow surfboard, you know? And it was a black swallowtail and he let me ride it from Hellgate down to the Crick and I... Oh, man, it was like a rocket ship. I'm sure I fell off. I'm sure it kind of got away from me and that guy was like, oh shit, I shouldn't have let that little kid ride that thing down. <laughs> but... It, that was like the first step on a snowboard that was before the Burton and it was an obsession. So when you can't have something, what do you want? You want what you can't have. Yeah. So as soon as I had the chance to ride at Brighton, got on a winter stick. Then I was, I was selling skis. I, I quit my job selling skis because it was a pow day and I bailed on a day of work when it was a dump and kick-ass day. We were riding the gully at Park West. The Natch, or Canis Lupus as it later became known, and we rode it all the time. I mean, me and Johnny and Bill Harris and you know, a couple other really rad people. And I mean, it was just sick being able to snowboard and snowboard on that on that winter stick, that early minty. And then after that, I got a Swallowtail Plus that had edges. And then I got a Round a Tail 170, but Anyway, I quit this job, quit this good gig that I love. Selling skis was kick-ass. $100 for a pair of boards with a pair of bindings. Shit, yeah. I want to do that forever. And I was getting good prices on descent wear and all that stuff. And my buddy says, what are you going to do if you don't go to work? I'm like, well, shit, I'm quitting. I got my paycheck from ski instructing for the University of Utah. And I don't know what I'm going to do next. He goes let's go to the world championships in Breckenridge. I'm like, what is that? And he's like the world championships of snowboarding. Well, shit. I was like, all right. He goes, my dad will pay for, you know, like the hotel and food. And all you got to (laughs) have is 25 bucks for the entry. (laughs) So I was like, all right. Okay. I'm going with Bill Harris and Bill Harris ended up on the Sims team. Okay. He was on the Sims team. He was a ski punk at my, at my high school. And he had a half pipe in the backyard at the house he was living at, the Moskins. So Moskin's house, we had a half pipe. He had a cool place to skate in the summer. And then he was snowboarding. Like everybody was getting into snowboarding and the technology was evolving. You weren't just using, you know, wood boards built in the bathtub. Like lots of kids I knew in Bountiful. And uh, That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, they'd soak them in the bathtub and use the bend of the bathtub and put cinder blocks and all kinds of heavy shit on there. And they put a lot of laundry (laughs) detergent in there too. And that got the board to bed. Those are like the early bountiful Utah presses. They were modeling my board. They were modeling that Burton that I had. And, Uh and you know, I went to the worlds and holy shit, there's guys with hard boots and plates and racing boards, you know, Jose Fernandez and Tom Burt and, Tom Sims was there and Craig Kelly was there and all kinds of people, like everybody who's anybody was there and it was sick as hell. And I had a winter stick swallowtail plus I actually had edges, but I had a swallowtail and I, I, Entered one event, I ran the solemn, I qualified. That's cool. I, 50 out of 200 cool. dudes, you had to get in the top 50, I qualified. And then I did my second day. And in order to make the final finals, you had to be in the top 25. I got number 26. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I didn't give a shit, man. <laughs> I was top 26. I, I was on snowboard vacation. I was like, where's the pow? Let's go ride the pow, you Still know? Still,
0: though, wasn't, this, wasn't that one of, if not the first world champs? Probably... Probably,
1: like, there were, I think it was the second official Swatch or the World Championships. I think it was the first one with real big money. Like, gotcha. they had the Swatch guys in there. And big money is not big money, but everybody was there. It, it was so, was sick. it like...
0: Was it the kind of thing like Craig Kelly and, and oh, yeah. like, those dudes showed up? And- yeah, oh,
1: Craig Kelly was there for sure. And Craig Kelly had been to Park West, and I was a judge at that contest for the half I think mm-hmm. I was a judge just because I could skate and I knew all the damn tricks. You know, I I wrote down everybody's run. Like, shit, I wrote down everybody's run, but I didn't know who Craig Kelly was. I didn't know who <laughs> Dave Downing was. I didn't know who Terry Kidwell was. I didn't know who, you know, Rob Morrow was. And It was all kind of crazy. The legends. That- the sport, it was legends. And, and, you know, I was the judge and I, I didn't think of him as being any bigger deal than the kick-ass guys that I knew, you know, Andy Brewer, fuck, he ripped just as hard as any of those guys. Yeah, Craig Kelly had yellow pants on and was doing cool Andrex, right. And, you know, Terry Kidwell was doing cool stuff. He had vision streetwear on and that was pretty cool. And he was riding Sims boards, but you know, Sims boards were kind of the rivals and they came on, like, strong with a force, that contest. It wasn't the Burton guys ripping the early halfpipe. It was the Sims guys. But the guy who fucking blew doors theirs was, was Rob Morrow, man. He was going, like, 10 feet out on a shitty halfpipe. Wow. Anyway, you asked me about doing the modern thing, and here I am <laughs> blabbering on about all this Still other though, shit. Still,
0: though, I did want to get to the Breck World Champs because I knew you had, you had yeah. been there.
1: So I went to the Breck World Champs, came back from that,
0: And I was like, I don't have a job.
1: What am I going to do? I went to a snowboard shop there. They're selling lots of snowboards I didn't even know existed. Like, shit, I knew there was a Barfoot and I knew there was a Sims and I knew there was a Winterstick and I knew there was a Burton. But now all of a sudden there's Gnu's and Hooger Boogers. And, I mean, shit, the shit went big on the list. And there was a whole bunch of different boards. I'm like, we can sell and rent snowboards and we can sell skateboards. I know how to sell skateboards. Right, like so I started working at a mountain bike shop. It was one of the first mountain bike shops and snowboard and freestyle BMX and skateboard stuff in Bountiful. It was super fun. Those guys are still my my best buddies, wheels, et cetera, you know. It was awesome. Director of Primary Children's Hospital, at Justin Alvey, that guy, his dad was a legend, Charlie Alvey, he was a BMX proponent, like the biggest guy who backed a kid ever backed his kids up to the nuts. He he, he unfortunately passed away a year ago. A sweetheart of an old guy but gruff and he built a quarter pipe in his side yard and let us do demos and do all this stuff and you know as a byproduct I got to go buy boards from Dmitry Milovich. That's cool. So I would buy 10 or 12 boards and then wait forever to try and get them in. I mean every retailer knows you buy them in you think you're buying them in August or September or October and then you want them before Christmas. You're (laughs) high. Like that's, you're not the top of the barrel. You're waiting and you're trying to call. So I'd call and call and call then finally get the AOK to go pick up some boards and they'd be gone fast. So I had that background with winter stick and then I had a long list of names. Well, when I was selling snowboards, there and skateboards there i was obviously skating all the spots in utah with some of the raddest skaters brad smith and a ton of guys from ogden one of the raddest guys i know mick woodworth was um and at this time he was just like a skate shop guy and he worked in a windsurfing shop in ogden village fair sports Well, Mick was cool as hell. He called me up whenever there was a pro demo and had me drive Todd Prince around or drive Lee Ralph around or Rob Roskop. And so I got to ride with these cool skaters and take them all these different half pipes, all these different places. But that guy was a skateboarder, skateboarder, snowboarder, snowboarder. And we all had a common friend, Scott Estes. You know, we all knew Andy Brewer. We all knew... I mean, everybody from Ogden that skated Fifth Street Ramp, we all became friends. Anyway, so we all have this history with winter stick. All my lifetime best buddies that are my age are older. I'm 54. My buddies are as old as 69, 67, 60, and they're still ripping on snowboards. Lots of guys that are younger too, but um, he said, do you want to be a winter stick ambassador? I was like, yeah, sure thing. Just sent him a little two-word message. Next thing I knew, I got a letter from the guys at Winterstick back east in Maine. And Mick at one time was Winterstick marketer mid '90s when mm-hmm. Dwayne Bush owned it. So you know, Dimitri closed it in '88, maybe December '88, and he let the trademark lapse, and somebody else, well, his former partner at Milesport camped on it, went and went and grabbed it. And, you know, I've talked to people about it and some people are bitter about it some people are like, Oh, that's what happened. Well, anyway, push comes to shove. They ran that. And a lot of those cool guys rode there and, you know, I don't know. I just imprinted on winter stick and loved it. I knew all the history. I never went a day without a winter stick under my feet on the season. I rode some other alpine boards, but I always had a winter stick. I always had a winter stick for sure. I loved the history. I loved all things about it. I knew a ton of people. So I got a recommendation from my buddy Mick. He's now a like an awesome fire chief in Vail, Colorado. And, uh, you know, his wife was the state champion ski racer. Wow. They uh, organized the birds of prey downhill, right? Yeah, yeah. But that guy's my lifelong best buddy. He came here in winter, rode with me. Well, he didn't ride. We went to dinner at a little place in Richmond, just a little hole in the wall. And uh, he loved it. And he's like, man, if Scott Estes were still around, he'd move here and he'd be ripping the <laughs> shit out of this place because there's nobody here. And it's sick and it's hometown feel and it's fun. I'm like, yeah, it's got the." The old school spirit, and nobody's here. Nobody knows about it. It's rad as shit. It's like a bad skate spot. So anyway, I got a recommend from Mick, and next thing I know, they're upgrading and they're moving the factory to Maine. Yeah. And I'm getting a snowboard in the in a box. Yeah. And then they sent me a bunch, and I sold a bunch. And I've been sitting on chairlifts, one by one, person by person. Best friends of my life. The last five years, I've met so many rad people, and turned a ton of people onto winter sticks.
0: Yeah, and, and they're they're rad boards. I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like you said, they moved the the factory to Maine, and you know they are hand laid snowboards. You know, this isn't it's it's guys in Maine. The only it's the only factory. To have a chairlift coming out of it, right?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good marketing deal. But yeah, yeah everybody who gets on the lift has to roll by, you know, Seth Westcott's factory. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they get to look inside. I'm I'm sure I'd love to go back and see it. I have friends that have gone back, but I I know the first shaper that was there, Dan Leroy, he was rad. Came to yep. the house. I rode with him. I did demos in in Jackson with him, and then
0: I, I think he was the. He was the guy that was here at the Beaver demo, right? Yeah. He's the one that put me on my first winter stick, yeah. the, the ST-159. Yeah. And, and That was it.
1: And, and Dan moved on to, you know, a different path. And now Rob Lou runs the show and he's the shaper and he, uh, he builds the board, but Dan is owed a big old thanks for building the factory and getting the ball rolling and getting it started and, yeah. and, and being part of a stoke. So I, I mean, I, I've known guys at each and every single factory that was the shapers, and you know, people always kind of there's always a group of people that are faithful to a brand, and they'll be like, oh, it's not even the same owners. Well, shit, neither's Rosignol, neither's every other brand I could manage in the whole world. I mean, Jake held it down for his shop, and yeah. everybody loves that company because. Well, everybody started on one because yeah. he was a mass producer and yep. Dimitri only had it so long. He went through two or three iterations and, you know, lost money and eventually became very successful with the, you know, radius engineering and military com- contracts and building helicopter monocoques. But that dude had light years of experience ahead of anybody when yeah. it came to, you know, new materials and using carbon fiber right like yeah
0: he was the first to use carbon in in snowboards
1: yeah and he was sick when it came to like windsurf inventions and you know the tour de france bike and for greg lemond he helped win that and i mean just some way cool innovations. so
0: didn't he didn't he originally put on the top of the board to give it a little bit more grip didn't he like put epoxy and like uh Aquarium-like? Yeah, broken broken lawn. aquarium glass,
1: right? And this story came from Jamie Lithgow, right? So she's the granddaughter of um, the former owner of Powder Mountain. He was a real character, Dr. Kobabe. And, you know, this has to be—seriously, there's a picture published in Newsweek in 1975, and they had a picture of the inner tube as a new sport going tubing was a new sport right along next to it is snurfing and they got a picture of Dimitri and he's holding a board no bindings broken aquarium glass on the top and he's got a big old bandage on his face (laughs) and hell you look at that bandage and there's some stitches probably underneath there yeah that guy fell on his board and it was aquarium glass and epoxy you know, break that shit up with a hammer. What's the grippiest thing you can think of? Well, clear grip tape wasn't grippy enough. wasn't even invented yet. So they did what they did, and he fell on it and sliced it up. And, you know, Dr. Kobabe started that place and built a ski hill, and then he had right there a, an office to fix people's broken legs or whatever befell him, and he stitched up Dimitri's cheek. So Jamie would tell that story and I didn't hear it until maybe three or four years ago. And, and she said, Dimitri's mom, um, looked at his cheek and said, oh, I think he's going to have a scar. I don't, I'm going to have a plastic surgeon look at it. And you know, she took him to the plastic surgeon, plastic surgeon takes a look and says, no, that was perfect. Great stitches. He's got minimal scarring. It was an excellent job. Wow. And she cut Dr. Kobe with a thousand dollar check. <laughs> so, he had to, if he has a picture with him in Newsweek in 1975 and tubing, and he's got the bandage on his face, and he's got a board with glass on top with no bindings, he was riding it at Pound Mount. It had to be 1974, 1975 season. Yeah. I mean, he didn't just go to Little Cottonwood and, and get a ride up out on the chair. He, he was taking the Hidden Lake Road and dropping backside runs before anybody. He figured that place out. It's a steep canyon, and you just drive across to this other road, and you didn't need a chairlift. You were riding pow right then and there. Yeah. Like, hiking's a bitch. So, anyway, that's the story about, you know, the glass. So, anyway, I collected all those stories. I heard them from tons of people. I heard... Uh, anybody who rides up with me and I'm riding a big winter stick Swallowtail, they're like, I remember those. What is that? And they, you know, I get old characters that are in their yeah. 60s that or late 50s and they're older than me. And I, I listen to them and I make friends with them and I talk to them about the new boards and how the new Swallowtail feels like the old Swallowtail. But, I, yeah. you know, uh, it's modern equipment and it's,
0: it's dope. That's one thing I think is cool is, um, you know, Winterstick, it might be owned by by different guys now, but I feel like Seth and uh, Tom Burt and Tom Burt, Rob Kingwell, yeah, all those dudes, Tom Fremont Smith, which are, who are Olympians and uh, and, uh, also Baker, Bank Slalom, yeah, how fast too, do you got to like, be
1: to win two gold medals in border cross and then win, you know, the legendary bank slum at yeah. forty five, you know, two years in a row. And and you build a factory and then redesign your own model so yeah. it's faster.
0: Yep. Well, shit. And the dude, I think that they, they keep the spirit. I At least I feel like they keep the spirit that Dimitri... Th- put into snowboarding you know he was all about let's go ride some some pow let's surf the snow you know um and that's something that i feel let's like, make enough money
1: that we can work for this long and then when the snow flies we're not working anymore
0: yeah. you ain't getting aboard
1: yeah. we're riding we're hiking and yeah you know and we're snowboarding we're pushing the
0: envelope and i feel like Winterstick has stayed true to that kind of spirit and that's part of what I love so much about those boards is is every winter stink board one you know that there was a guy in Maine that that laid up that board and he really cares about those snowboards and then also you know it's got it's got soul to it. It's kinda like now I've got a lot of Burton boards. I've got a lot of K two boards and do you know who shaped your board? I, no, you know. I mean, I could use like, I
1: could say, hey, Wang, it's just a, it's just a parking lot. Put away your camera joke <laughs> yeah. from, you know, Caddyshack, yeah. right? <laughs> Where he's taking pictures of the parking lot, but it's not politically correct now. But if your board's being built in China, do you know your shaper?
0: Yeah, right. Well,
1: Winterstick's got a long line of shapers, but there's not that many of them. And yeah. I know most of
0: them. And... That's something that I think is really unique and really cool, and you can tell that there's a lot of of passion that goes into that. Yeah. and that's something that you don't find. You find it in a lot of Japanese shapers right now. Like, oh yeah, man. And,
1: the Gentems are awesome.
0: Yeah, and uh, is it is it TJ boards? Yeah, sick. that that uh, Winterstick actually did kind of a collab with. Yeah, I rode but,
1: with. I rode with a girl this winter who's just a sweetie and she ripped before right she ripped on a westcott 156 and i'm like always oh, pushing people to ride a bigger board cuz we're riding low angle pow at powder mountain shit i don't want anybody getting stuck and not me i have to wait for him in the pow if it's deep and it's bluebird we're making laps and it's it's not the steepest place in the world there can be plenty of steeps up there but you're riding low angle aspen trees and yep. and uh you know ripping big glades and coming away with a smile and But if you're riding with somebody who's got a board that's not tuned or it's four centimeters too short, shit, then I'm waiting. So I always push to get those people to ride bigger. Anyway, Cass jumped on a 156 Westcott and she fell in love with it. That was like five years ago. This winter, winter stick was super cool. I sold enough boards. And they liked our interaction enough on Instagram because weekly or more, we're always posting photos of yeah. how much fun we were having. And it was,
0: yeah.
1: it was great interaction. Like Instagram became kind of a tennis thing for me and, and Cass and she'd talk about her day and I'd talk about how great a time we had and we'd share old pictures and share new pictures, put it to music. And it just became kind of fun and, uh, shit, they sent us a box and, I was getting one new board for my mechanic. He was getting a 183 Winter Stick Swallowtail, big blue one, and a partial trade for my little girl's rover. And uh, Solid. I, he loves it, man. He digs that board. But anyway, they snuck in a couple boards for me and Cass. I got a Roundtail 163, and Sweet she board. got a Swallowtail Flat Camber TJ Brand collab, Wow, 158. And That's let me cool. tell you. I love the way she rides. I love shooting photos with her. She's, she's not a tall girl. I'm not going to say she's short cause that would hurt her feelings, but <laughs> she rips. And then she hopped on that board and I, I was used to photographing her at this speed. And now next thing I know, she's just making laps and hard as, as fast as I can go. And she's riding a swallowtail and that thing can carve yep. flat camber. It's flat camera. How's she going so fast? How's she ripping that board is quality. And she freaking loved it. She fell in love with it. And that's the shit that I'm in love with, with snowboarding. Like I was always selling skateboards. I was always selling skis. I was always patting kids on the back. I'm a hype man. Yeah. I love kids to get the experience at the skate park. Right. As much as I can be an asshole down there to the scooter punks and kind of throw my weight around. It's, for show like I want people to behave a certain way I want the kids who skate to all get a turn but I want people to fall in love with the magic of skateboarding and I want them to fall in love with the magic of snowboarding so I want them to have the experience of what it's like to have a perfectly tuned board with a great base the fastest base you can have cleanest edges like get your shit tuned by the guy from the US snowboard team Andy Buckley or, you know, Curtis Baca, yeah, you're going to win Mount Baker. What's that level like? Yeah. Well, that costs 150 bucks to get a tune like that. But they come out of the factory mint. mint I mean, tune like that. And if you keep it waxed and you're like picky about the early days that you ride, you know, I'm not, I'm going to ride that beater yeah. board. I got to, then you can just rip.
0: I got to say, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I got a lot of boards and I I worked at a ski shop for a long time. I've put a lot of boards through a base grinder and leveled them and structured them and almost every board on the wall you can throw it through there, it's not even close to level. You need they but, all need work and people don't realize it. Yeah. But my winter stick, I got a core shot in my round tail and I didn't know that. Filled it up. I told you about that. Yeah. I filled it up disrespectful and i and i threw it through the base grinder it took one pass and i was like no way it was that level after what a season and a half of riding i was absolutely amazed and what so, machine
1: are you tuning with
0: uh just a, a winter steiger a nice machine. Wintersteiger, right yeah.
1: i mean it's not just a, a beater grind right no, it's a nice no. winter It, it was, that's, it
0: was a nice. It was. I mean, it's a precision tool. I think it was only. It's only a year old, actually. So yeah, it yeah. was a solid winter Stiger, But it was. It was amazing to me to see that that quality comes out of, you know, it, it comes out of this little shop up in in Maine, and it's yeah. I'd say to anyone, you know, yeah, you're gonna pay a, a premium for it, but it's like, hey, there's a difference between the Rolls Royce. And the, uh, the Chevy that you're driving, you know? it's, it's Yeah, I wouldn't a- even
1: say Chevy. I'd be like, uh, you're riding a little short, you know, I don't know, Chevy Sprint, maybe. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just check the thinness of your bases on some boards. Yeah. Uh, they're paper thin, but the boards I've got, seriously, I ride the shit out of these boards. In early conditions, and I ain't afraid. I used to be afraid, I used to be worried a little bit that I had these expensive boards, but now I'm like, nah, I don't give a shit. It's early, I'm gonna hit rocks wherever they may lie. Well, usually, I learn where the rocks are yeah. at the resorts I ride, and I ride low elevation stuff in the foothills. You know, that's not something that everybody does, a lot of people love hiking to the very top, getting up to the big avalanche zones and riding the deepest of the deep pal and getting the face shots. But I learned a new hobby or learned a hobby as a kid. And it came from riding Bountiful and it was riding the foothills and the foothills are super dope because nobody rides them. They have rocks. Well, there's a two week window where it's just the sickest shit in the world to walk from your house, to walk 3000 foot of elevation and ride between seven and five thousand feet and it's like magical. Like I'm I'm super stoked to do that. I love riding every single resort. I love going for hikes, but when you can get it right out your back door, yeah, that's the sickest thing. It's, so it's amazing. If I hit a
0: rock, shit, I can fix it. Yeah. And uh yeah, I mean it's it's a Pretty sweet testament to to how awesome those boards are, and uh, I I want to say like huge thanks for for hanging out with me, doing this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, fun.
0: We we'll get together another time and we'll talk about some other stuff with snowboards, like like length and stuff like that. Maybe get some people off of these short boards. But yeah, thanks for sitting down with me. Thanks for. You know, stoking out as many people as you can on snowboarding. Uh, You definitely got me even more stoked. Yeah. And uh, thanks for for everyone out there. I will link Mark's Instagram in the uh, in the show notes and on our Instagram page. You got to check it out because he posts the coolest stuff. If there's one person's story that I never miss, it's Winks because it's got. Old school skate stuff, old school snowboard stuff, new school snowboard, new school skate. I mean, it's, he seriously posts some of the coolest stuff. So I check out his page.
1: The thing is, some people would be like, oh, he's just, you know, feeding his own ego or patting himself on the back. Maybe, maybe that's true. (laughs) Maybe, maybe that's part of it, but more likely it's my therapy. But the reason why I did it is so that I could communicate my story with my kids my life story. And if they know I'm posting, they know I'm still alive, (laughs) (laughs) but it kind of became a damn addiction in a hobby. Like what's your favorite thing, Mark? I don't know the visual, like I like visual imagery. I like great photographs. I like great old stories of snowboarding. I like stoking people out on snowboarding. I don't love deep powder snow pictures in August when you can still be skateboarding, but whatever. Snowboarding with people, with friends. Nothing better. Nothing better. I don't run with the whole crew, though. I like riding with one or two people at the most. That's, I don't know, snowboarding's fun, but a few photographs and a bunch of music. Yeah. A little bit of beer.
0: So, if someone wanted to to get a winter stick or had some questions, they are interested in getting one, how do they go about
1: Man, send me a message and uh, we're just going to, I message people from all around the world. I message people from all around the country, all around the state, all around this valley. And, you know, people buy three and four boards or they'll talk to me about old boards or this collectible boards. I know a lot of collectors. Yeah. So I know the stories. I know the prices they paid, but people freak out about how much it is for a damn winter stick, how much money it is. It's a lot of money but the cores are pure, the wood's good.
0: And the bases are fantastic. Bases
1: are fantastic. And you get to customize it how you want. You want to build the the snowboard that fits your feet, that has the cool design. Like, I mean, I don't know. Do you have anybody else who has a board cooler than yours?
0: I, I don't think so.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, <laughs> you know. And I, I don't think, I don't want to be a board hoarder. I keep a board for a while and then I pass it on to the new rightful owner. Yeah. So my board quiver is big, but it's not in my possession anymore. It's in somebody else's hands or under their feet. Yeah. That's sick. If I get somebody stoked, who's riding a winter stick, swallowtail, a modern one. And they're like, Oh shit. This is what it's all about. This is what the hype's all about. This is the funnest board I've ever ridden. Well, that's magic. You know, handing over a board to somebody, Yeah, it's true. I I can't tell you what that's like. That's like the coolest thing. So I'd I'd be happy. Just send me a message on Insta or, you know, I don't use Facebook too much, but I will. And, you know, I'll figure out a way to get in touch with you and we'll start a text war and answer all your questions that way. But I'll eventually get on the phone with you. Clear up any questions before you get on the factory with Rob Lew at Winterstick because that's when you're making your final hour-long, yep. half-hour-long discussion and saying, this is exactly what I want on my board. I'm just filtering it and saying, this is what your possibilities are. This is what you could have for colors. Sweet. You know, so.
0: Sweet. Well, yeah, like I said, I'll make sure and link uh, Mark in the uh, show notes and on the Instagram. And yeah, it's been a super awesome time. So also make sure you follow Powder and Loam on Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Live to ride, winter stick or die.